Well, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, Thanksgiving, as you know, kicks off the holiday season that points our eyes toward the one from whom all blessings flow. I mean, you can't, you can't deny it. Uh, the, the heart of Thanksgiving uh, flows from a God who loves you and cares about you and gives all good things, and His blessings are the focus of the season of the year that we know of as Thanksgiving, and, and, and that's good news. Uh, it's exciting news, and I think, I don't know about you, but I, I need some good news these days. I need some exciting news this, these days, and over the next six weeks, we're going on a journey to discover the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. And we're going to look at the reason Jesus actually came into the world over these next six weeks. John's gospel gives us a perfect perspective of this most important thing that the world needs today and the most important thing that we're thankful for. Uh, this journey that we are traveling through the next six weeks will reveal everything we need to know about God and everything we need to know about ourselves. And so I'm excited about us getting on the journey, traveling on the journey to learning how to live a meaningful life. In fact, more than that, the most meaningful life. I'm excited that you've joined us today for the beginning of this adventure. Our uh, our grandchildren are young, uh, under two years old. But I want you to know today that grandchildren are not the only people who get excited about giving and receiving gifts. Um, John wraps many pictures of who Jesus is in the images that we can identify with and that we can understand. And so for the rest of this year, we're going to unwrap these beautiful pictures one by one of who Jesus 
really is. In John chapter 6, verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now, every story, as you know, has a backstory. And when we pick up in John chapter 6 and verse 35, we have to understand that there's a huge backstory to this part of the story. Everywhere Jesus went in his earthly ministry, crowds of people would follow him. And the sixth chapter of John begins with one of these episodes where crowds of people were gathering around Jesus and the disciples so much. And they were so weary from doing ministry that they felt like they needed to get away. And so they got in a boat in Capernaum and traveled over across the Sea of Galilee to Tiberias to get away from the crowd. Well, guess what? You can stand on one side of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum and you can see to the other side of the lake to, to, uh, to, to Tiberias. And so as the boat that Jesus and the disciples were traveling in across the sea uh, occurred, the crowd ran around the sea and the word spread in front of them that Jesus was coming to the other side. And so when they got to the other side of the sea of Galilee, the crowd was there waiting for them. And so Jesus looked at his disciples and even though they were weary from ministry, even though they were filled with grief, because Jesus' best friend and forerunner, John the Baptist, had been murdered. They were heavy with grief. They were heavy with fatigue from ministry. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, roll up your sleeves, boys, and go to work. <laughs> we have work to do. And so they began ministering to the crowd that was there. And in the midst of that ministry, the day became late. And Jesus looked at Philip and Jesus said, Philip, let's feed this crowd. Philip looked at Jesus like a calf looking at a new light gate. I mean, he looked at him, he saw more than 5,000 people, and Jesus is looking at Philip and said, feed this crowd. Now, there could have been a practical reason why Jesus looked at Philip. Philip was from the area. He grew up just nine miles from where Jesus and his disciples were ministering to these people. Recently, Gail and I went to a ball game across to the very other side of the state of South Carolina. And on our way over there, we called one of our friends and said, you grew up in this town, where's a good place to eat? And so she told us a good place to eat, and sure enough, it was awesome. Well, that could be why Jesus asked Philip to feed the crowd, because Philip, if anyone would have known where good food was, Philip would have known where good food was. But there was a deeper reason for Jesus asking Philip this. Jesus asked Philip, the Bible says, that question to test him. Now you're entering into a season where Thanksgiving kicks off the holiday season and we in, enter the Christmas season. I want us this morning to make sure that we don't miss what these focuses are all about. And we're going to see examples of that as we move through this passage this morning. The Bible says Jesus asked Philip this question and the disciples this question in order to test them. Sometimes Jesus tests us by putting us in difficult situations. But 
God's intended purpose is, is, is not for us to be frustrated because sometimes we're in situations in life where we just get frustrated. But that's not why Jesus tests us. Testing times are times for God to show up. Testing times are times for God to show off like he does here in the sixth chapter of the book of John. You may be here today and you may be struggling through a test that you're going through. And I ask you to join me this morning in just putting up the antennas and saying, Okay, God, what's the purpose for the test that I'm living through right now? This test opened up the door for God to reveal to you and me his greatest gift. Jesus took five barley loaves and two fish and miraculously turned those five barley loaves and two fish into enough food not only to feed 5,000 people, but to fill up 5,000 people with baskets of food left over. But the greatest gift that Jesus gave the crowd that day was not the physical food. So don't miss the point. Because he, felt, he, he met the felt needs of the crowd, they wanted to make him king, didn't they? That's what the Bible says in John chapter 6. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's not my purpose for being here. And so when they mentioned they wanted to make him king because he had filled up their bellies, he retreated. He went up on the mountainside. And got alone by himself. The disciples returned to their boats, got in the boat, and left Tiberias to go back to Capernaum after dark. And a storm arose quickly over the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples were fearful for their, their life. Test number two pops up within a few short hours. As they're traveling, they're fearful for their life because the storm is rocking the boat. They think they're going to die. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. And the Bible says when Jesus entered the boat, immediately their fear went away. And they ended up on the shore at Capernaum again. But the greatest gift that Jesus had to offer that day was not calming the storm. For the disciples, it might have felt like it. But that was not the greatest gift that Jesus offered. And that's where we pick up our story for today in our text. See, this historical event answers at least three questions that you need to be asking today as we move from Thanksgiving to Christmas and through this season. Question number one is, what is the true motive for seeking Jesus? Question number two is, what is God's true gift from heaven? And question number three is, what is the true meaning, the true meaning of communion with Jesus? So let's go on this journey this morning. First, look at the true motive for seeking Jesus. We see this in verses 22 to 27 of John chapter 6. Do you have your Bible open? Follow along with me and keep it open as we move through this text this morning. Verse 22 of John 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, 
but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Verse 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So verses 22 to 24 revealed that the, the day after Jesus miraculously turned the five barley loaves and two fish into enough food to fill over 5,000 people, the crowd searched and found Jesus back in Capernaum. They were curious as to how and when he had left the scene of the miracle and returned to Capernaum. And here's the point of the text here. Jesus never answered their question. Why? Well, they were asking the wrong question. And so Jesus looked beyond the curiosity of their minds and the fullness of their stomach from the day before. And Jesus turned to a bigger statement of truth, a bigger statement of life. In verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you had your fill of the loaves. See, bread and water are essential for life. I mean, that's why over this past week, many of you in your small groups and many of you as church members have gathered food together to feed under-resourced people in this community. It's a good thing for us to reach out and do ministry in this community, and we're going to continue to do that. But Jesus was trying to under help people understand that that's not the greatest priority of life, filling people's stomachs and meeting temporary needs. Those are not the highest priorities of life. There's no excuse for anyone being hungry in this community, is there? I mean, churches like ours go overboard to try to make sure that there is no man, woman, or child in this community who goes to bed hungry at night. But in meeting our temporary physical needs, we must learn from Jesus right here to focus on the deeper need that people have. Jesus looked deep into the souls of that crowd, and he exposed their motive for wanting to follow him. Temporal motives are revealed through the questions that we ask. So let me ask you this. What, what questions are you asking Jesus today? And what might be revealed in your life for the questions that you are asking today? What are you asking Jesus today? In, in the midst of the reality of our world, are you looking and asking the right questions? So what is the true motive for seeking Jesus? And what are you and what am I praying for today? It's great to pray for temporal needs to be met. And we need to do that. 
But don't miss the greater need by asking the inferior questions. You're well aware that from all that's going on in our world today, people are desperate. Some people know they're desperate, and some people don't even know they're desperate. But believe me when I say every man, woman, and child on planet Earth today is desperate. And the desperation of the deepest need we have can't be met by temporary things. The desperation of our heart can only be met when we turn our attention to the focus Jesus was making to this crowd in John chapter 6. See, the mission of Jesus was not to feed all the hungry people in the world. Does that surprise you? The mission of Jesus was not to heal all the sick people in the world. That shouldn't surprise you either. Because temporal welfare was not his mission. Temporal welfare was only a bridge to get to the real need, the highest priority, the greatest question that every person in life ought to be asking. He turned the conversation to the eternal. The miracles of Jesus should have been signs to the crowd of who he was. But the crowd missed it. Please don't miss what Jesus is trying to say to you today and what Jesus is trying to do for you today. Just like the woman at the well in, in John chapter 4, Jesus came to offer more than physical water. He came to offer more than physical food. He came to offer eternal life. Jesus spoke to that Samaritan woman, and when he offered her water that would never dry up, unlike this crowd, she got it. And I pray that will be your attitude today as well. See, meeting the physical need of hunger and thirst should have opened the door to reveal to the crowd who Jesus really was and what his mission truly was. And that's why he said in verse 27, look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Please don't miss what Jesus is saying. I can't count the times as my kids were growing up. How many times we watched Robin Hood, either in cartoon form or in movie form? I mean, thousands of times I know for sure we watched that little episode. It's interesting to me, you remember how the, the sheriff of Nottingham would always go through the forest and he would tack up these wanted posters on the tree for the arrest of Robin Hood. And at the bottom of every one of those wanted posters, there was a, a seal of the king stamped on that on that uh, wanted poster. In the old days, it was stamped on there with wax. Today, you go to a notary public and you get something notarized. And what does the notary do? He stamps the seal on there, puts the embossed uh, uh, imprint on there in order to show authenticity, in order to show uh, that there is authority behind the message, in order to validate the message. And look at it in this text. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 27. He says, For on the Son of Man, 
God the Father has set his seal. God was giving Jesus, placing upon Jesus the authenticity of God himself, the authority of God himself. Because Jesus is God. Look at it, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus declared that he was the authentic, authoritative, validated Messiah of God. And he wants to be known for who he is. So what can Jesus do for me? Maybe the wrong question. It may be. If my motive is driven by temporal, earthly needs that I have, or even that I see in the needs of other people, that could be the wrong motive for seeking Jesus. Realizing who He is and trusting His authority and His authenticity is far more important than what He can do for me. And the same is true about you. One of my great favorite pastors growing up, a long-distance mentor, was a man by the name of Henry Blackaby. I love to be in the presence of Henry Blackaby. When I was around him, you've been around people like this. When you, you feel like you're in the audience of somebody, it's almost like being in the audience of God himself. That was Henry Blackaby for me. And what Henry Blackaby taught me was that when I seek Jesus, here's what I need to do. I need to be so close in my relationship with Jesus that when I see Jesus working somewhere, I get on board with him and I get involved in the things that Jesus is involved in. That's what it means to ask a question that is a priority question. Who is Jesus? How can I get in touch with him? And how can I move my life on mission with him? The true motive for seeking Jesus is to experience Jesus for who he is and reflect the glory of God as he works in my life through my life to other people. He's true manna from God, and that's where the crowd turned their focus to. They were still looking at the full stomachs that they had from the day before. And so Jesus introduces what his true gift from heaven is. So look secondly with me at the true manna in trusting Jesus. The true manna in trusting Jesus. In John chapter 6, verses 28, then they, talking about the crowd, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now this is subtle, but don't miss it. Unfortunately, the crowd still had their focus on their works. And that's why most people miss Jesus today. See, intimate relationship with God is about relationship. It's not about what I can do for Jesus. Religion, which is what most people in the world have today, some form of religion. But religion is, is spelled D-O. What can I do to work my way to heaven? What can I do to work my way to God? That's not Christianity. 
Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. <laughs> it's what Jesus Christ has already done for me. And God has given us an invitation through this holiday season to put the focus on knowing Him and walking with Him and following Him rather than being focused on what we can do for Him or do for other people. See, what can I do for Jesus can be the wrong question as well. Not only what can Jesus do for me, but what can I do for Jesus can be the wrong question. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Now that doesn't sound like work, does it? To believe, to have faith. But Jesus says that is the work that God has for you to do in your heart and in your life and in your mind and in your spirit and in your motives. Just believe that Jesus is who God said that He is. But unfortunately, the crowd had their focus on their works, and again, they missed it. Verse 29 again says, they answered him, this is the work of God that you, Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom you, you sent. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. See, they're the ones that introduced the idea of the bread, the manna. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, listen to this. I mean, get the picture in your mind. I mean, if, if this wasn't so serious, it would be hilarious. I mean, these were people who the day before had had their bellies filled with food, 5,000 plus people from, two bar, from five barley loaves and two fish. And they're asking him for a sign. <laughs> I mean, Jesus said, you don't get it. See, the crowd had literally seen Jesus do something that no human being could ever do. In one. And, and, and just one day removed, they were asking, what sign are you going to show to show us that you are who you say you are? The implication of their question was that, that Jesus had fed them for one day, and Moses had fed them day after day after day for 40 years in the wilderness. And so the implication of their question was that Moses was greater than Jesus. So Jesus had to try to enlighten them once again. In verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Wow. No greater statement has ever been made on planet earth. In verse 32, Jesus tried to enlighten them. Notice He turned their past experience that they were referencing to the present. And in essence, here's what he said. 
Wake up, you knuckleheads. <laughs> Can't you get it? Can't you see what God is trying to say to you through me? God, my Father, is giving you true bread from heaven. This true bread from heaven is standing right here in front of you, face to face. I'm God. Can't you see it? In verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread. Now, when they said this, if they had truly been genuine in their motive like the woman at the well was in John chapter 3, John chapter 4, if they had truly been motivated by a desire to know who God really was and what God was really saying, he would have given them that bread. But Jesus knew that their motive was still fixed on their stomachs. They couldn't see the true focus for the mission of Jesus. 2,000 years later today, we have the period from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We have the opportunity to look at the true meaning of what it means to be grateful, what it means to be thankful, what it means to have the gift from God that came down from heaven to live among us and be one of us and die for the penalty of our sin. But just like this crowd, so many people today, most people today, are missing it. Don't be like the crowd. Don't miss it. Bread and water are essential for sustaining life. In fact, Jesus recognized in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 when he was in that encounter with Satan. Satan was tempting him the three times. And Jesus looked at Satan and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So consistently, Jesus was trying to take the focus off the temporal, as important as the temporal is, and keep the priority, keep the focus on the priority mission of God. So let me ask you again, where is your life focused today? As we move through this holiday season, every blessing you receive, every gift you give and every gift you receive can remind you of who God really is and what He's really done to bless us. And my prayer is that that focus will sink into our life in a mighty way. As you know, our world is crazy today. We have some focuses that are being elevated that are really good focuses like, you know, doing the good works of fighting social injustice and abolishing sex trafficking and overcoming the inherent evils of slavery and providing a great education for children and feeding the hungry and the underprivileged. But let me ask you today, is your life focus working only to feed yourself and feed your family and just do enough to get by and building toward a comfortable life or a comfortable retirement? Or is your focus on the priority of giving glory to God through those blessings that He's given us? As great as those challenges are, they all, they all take a back seat to the priority of life. And right now today, I'm certain God is knocking at some heart doors here today. And God is saying, don't miss the priority of accepting the gift of God for who I am. 
Jesus said, my father gives you true bread from heaven. In verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you have that life that God is offering? You can. You can. For the true believer, the priority of life must be God's true gift from heaven. So what is God's true gift from heaven? It's Jesus. It's God's rescue of you and me from the penalty of our sin so we don't have to spend life miserably trying to work our way and do good deeds to show that we love God. It's the backside of that. It's what God has done for us to offer us His salvation and freedom from the penalty of our sins. So, if He's knocking at your heart's door today, confess Him. Believe Him. Trust Him. Commit your life to Him. Jesus and God's rescue for, for, for your sin, rescuing you from your sin, is the priority of life today. And the priority of life must be accepting and sharing the gift that God gives through Jesus. These temporary issues are not unimportant. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. They are important. But here's the kicker. If you get the priority of knowing Jesus and making all of life about Him right, these other social issues are going to be important as well, and they're going to fall in perspective, keeping Him first and then getting on board with Him and meeting some of these other temporary needs. But making all of life about Jesus is the priority of life, so focus on the gift giver. And then... Set your life to giving glory to Him every day that He leaves you on this earth. And that leads us to the main point, the third point this morning. The true meaning of communion with Jesus. In John chapter 6, verses 35 to 37, Jesus said to them, and here it is, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now this is an incredible statement. An incredible statement. And the truth of this statement has the power to change your life. The truth of this statement has the power to change the whole world. It's that powerful. At least nine pictures of Jesus in John's gospel are wrapped in these words. I am. So let's just briefly look at that phrase. Jesus is the greatest gift that one could ever receive. Back in verse 20 of chapter 6, when the disciples were struggling, thinking they were going to drown, Jesus says, these same words as they were about to go under Jesus steps on the boat Jesus walked across the water entered the boat and he said don't be afraid boys I am again here in verse 35 Jesus looks at the crowd and repeated I am 
At least nine times, John points out that Jesus wraps the greatest gift in the world in these two words. Here's what these two words mean. In, in the Greek, there are two words, and I don't want to get over technical here, but the two words are ego, I me. E-G-O, E-I-M-I. The word ego means I am. The word I me means I am. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am who I am. I am the answer to the greatest need that this world has. We see this phrase first used way back in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, when God was talking to Moses in the middle of a bush that was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. Remember, for 40 years, Moses had been exiled to, to, to a country far from uh, Egypt. He had been exiled there, and after 40 years, God came to him in the midst of Midian, and he said, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses looked at God and said, God, who am I to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land? Who can I tell them sent me? And guess what God said to Moses in the midst of that burning bush? These same words. The Hebrew translation in Greek Ego, I me. God said, I am who I am. In Exodus chapter uh, 3 and verses 13 and 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. So what was Jesus saying to the crowd? And they heard him when he said it. Jesus was saying, I'm God. Always have been, am now, and always will be. And for the believer, when you are in life-threatening trouble like the disciples were on that boat, call out to Jesus because he says, I am, and I'll be there with you. In the book of Daniel, which some of us will be reading this week in our devotional readings, in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3, there's an incredible story there of three Hebrew children who would not bow down to an idol and worship an idol and because of that, they were thrown into a fire that was so hot that the fire killed the men who threw the three Hebrew children into the fire. And just before being thrown in the fire, the three Hebrew children looked at Nebuchadnezzar and they said, even if our God does not save us, we still will believe in him. Why did they say that? Because they knew that for them to live was awesome, but to die was awesome also. And they believed that, and God chose to save them through that fire. And if you read that, that uh, chapter in Daniel chapter 3, you'll see that when Nebuchadnezzar looked down into that fire after the morning, after the night had passed and the morning came, he said, I don't just see three people in there, I see four, and one looks like the Son of God. This crowd knew that story. And yet they missed it. I remember when my brother-in-law went into the hospital back in July. He looked at his wife. With, James had coronavirus. He looked at his wife and he said, You know, it's a win-win for me. If I live, I win. If I die, I win. God chose to take him to heaven today. He's celebrating in heaven because he put his faith and trust in Jesus don't miss what Jesus is saying to us here. 
See, when you know and walk with Jesus, the story is not about the priorities of this world as important as they might be. The story is about God's glory. And true communion with Jesus is all about God's glory. That's why I stand here today as a sinner saved by grace. I mean, I've done some horrible things in my life that God has forgiven me for and set me free from by His grace. And I pray that you have that same experience. See, true communion with Jesus is about God's glory. The crowd didn't get it. In verse 36, But I said to you, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. There's the key. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For the third time, this is an incredible statement. So don't miss it. Faith not just in the head, but in the heart, worked out through a life is an awesome gift that can only come from God. Here's the way Paul frames it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is a free gift from God, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see the process there? It's faith, belief, repentance, trust, and acceptance. God getting the glory and creating good works that come through our life for His glory. That's the way the process works. So let me ask you, is He calling you today to believe and follow Him? Are you focused on trying to be good and trying to overcome sin in this world on your own or either being comfortable in this world? Or are you dependent on God to give you the faith so that you can believe, so that you can repent, so that you can give glory to Him and allow your life to give glory to Him to other people. True communion with Jesus can be the priority of life. It can only happen when you trust God's gift of Jesus for your personal salvation and commit your life to be lived ultimately for His glory. See, He alone can meet the desperate need of your life. And communion with God starts, it starts by giving your life to Jesus. So let's wrap this up today. By way of application, I just want to sum it up with a thought that Jesus gives in verses 38 to 59. The Bible says that Jesus announced that He is God and that He is fulfilling the mission of coming to earth and living as a man in order to go to a cross and be crucified and bleed and die and allow His blood to pay the price for the penalty of the sin of the world. That's your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world. And then on the third day, arise from the grave to live victoriously over death and give us victory over the grave. 
Jesus went overboard to describe himself as the bread of life, the essential element for life. And temporary things like bread and other essentials of life fall way short of the priority of life. Now here's what Jesus said in verses 38 through 59. Whoever drinks this blood and eats this bread, whoever eats this bread and drinks this blood abides in me and I in him. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying to you and me today that our relationship with God is based on us believing Him and trusting Him and surrendering to Him and repenting from our sin and saying, God, I want to make all of life about Jesus. You have on the seat beside you a cup of juice and a piece of bread. Very early one Thanksgiving holiday morning, Henry Blackaby, the same man I referenced earlier, was visiting his son Richard in Greenville, South Carolina. And before daylight, Richard heard a stirring in the kitchen, and Richard went down to see what was going on in his kitchen before daylight. And there his dad was, Henry Blackaby, was sitting there at the kitchen table with his Bible open. And Richard said to Henry, Dad, what, what, what book have you been studying these days? And Henry looked back at Richard and said, I've been in the book of James. Now, the book of James is only about five pages long. It's five short chapters. And Richard said to his dad, he said, Dad, how, uh, how far have you gotten through the book? Are you about finished? And Henry said, no, son, I'm still on chapter 1, verse 1. He said, for two months I've been trying to wrap my brain around what it means to be a slave of God and a slave of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what communion with Jesus is all about. It's not about the big picture things. It's about a very small picture thing, and that is hanging out with Jesus long enough to fellowship with Him and make all of life about Him. So let me ask you three questions this morning. Number one, what is your motive for seeking Jesus today? You're here. You obviously are seeking something. What's your motive? Do you know Jesus as God's gift from heaven? And question number three, are you ready to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Now, when Jesus made that statement to the crowd, the Bible says that many people who were following turned around and left because it was too harsh. It was too hard. What seems to be the easiest thing in the world for you to do today could be the hardest thing. And that's put your trust and faith in what Jesus says and who he is. And believe. Father, thank you today that we're holding in our hand a symbol of how much you love us. And I thank you for this season of the year when we can be thankful for all that you are. 
and the priority of what you've done for us. And I pray that beginning today, we will not miss it like the crowd did. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you to join me in taking the bottom of that tab off and pulling the tab off and holding the bread in your hand. And I'd like for you to just take that bread and look at it for a moment and let these three questions roll over in your mind. And if you're ready today to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood symbolically, this is a symbol. It's an important symbol, but it's just a symbol. The bread symbolizes that God came to earth and lived as a man, Jesus. Do you believe that? And then the cup reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed to pay the price for the penalty of our sins. So as you hold that bread in your hand, I'd like for you to take the tab off of the cup and hold it in your hand for a moment. And then just turn your head down and look at that bread, and you might want to just break it in half, reminding yourself of what Jesus did for you to leave heaven and come to earth. And as you look at the bread and look at the cup, are you willing to confess? First of all, confess that you are a sinner. And be willing to repent of your sin. And then be willing to commit the rest of your life to making all of life about Jesus. If you're willing to make those commitments today to Jesus, I invite you in Jesus' name as he invited his disciples to take the bread and take the cup and allow the bread and the cup to remind you how much Jesus loves you and what he did to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. This bread is the body of Jesus. This cup is the blood that was shed to pay the price for your sin. So as you join me in eating and drinking, do so in remembrance of Jesus. And Father, I want to thank you today that your Holy Spirit is working in this room. I thank you that you are calling men and women and students to wake up to the reality of the real priority of life. God, how I pray today that we would keep our lives open to you, that we would trust you with all of our heart and all of our life, and say, God, take our life and use it to bring glory for you. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship. Amen.